It's really hard to be the perfect Christian, but I feel like we're expected to try to be. I felt as I got older and I left my bubble that it was just very, it didn't feel natural. And I realized it never really did feel natural for me. Like I, I would go through the motions and even like as a teenager in youth group, I was just like, I'm not really feeling this like in my heart. Like I just don't know why it's not there when it seems to be there for all these other people. And of course you don't admit that. So maybe my friends were feeling that way too, but we just didn't talk about that. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual D and reconstruction. Season two, episode 18, In a Mirror Clearly. Hello there. Hi, how are you? Doing all right. How about yourself? Pretty well. Yeah. Awesome. A little little nervous. (laughs) It happens. Me too. It's nervous. It's nervous. It's nervous. See, there you go. It's nervous (laughs) on this end too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, hey, stranger. (laughs) Tell you all these things about myself. So what, uh, what was it then that brought you to the podcast? So I really only started listening to it about a week ago. I've just been literally binging it. Um, I, I can't claim to be like a huge... I've been familiar with Derek Webb for a while, having grown up and been in Christian circles my whole life, but I was never like a huge like super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw, you know, when... The Spirit Bears the Curse came out. People were sharing the video, and I was like, this is really amazing. And so I listened to the album and started just following him on Facebook. And I kept seeing all these posts about, like, this week's episode. And I just it was kind of just part of the my scrolling. And I didn't really think to really seek it out until recently. And then I was just immediately hooked. It's wow. just like, these are my people, and I'm just, like, eating <laughs> it up. It's just like my brain is just swirling. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pursue joining in this conversation that's really cool i don't run into too many people that say they binged uh this (laughs) podcast of all podcasts you know like like the way you binge cereal or something like that most people are like i need uh it's weird when episodes come out every week because i need like three weeks between episodes so i can relax no i just it's like so eye-opening and well not even it's just these are my people literally i mean my story isn't the same as some of these people, but the theme is very similar to yes. mine. It's just yes. like, yes, 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 yes. Like episode two, I, te- I have to say everybody in it was just like, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. So it's just like, part of me struggles with, you know, what else do I have to add to this conversation when it's just kind of the same as everybody else. But I don't know. We all have different ways of looking at things for sure yeah different different places of entry different vantage points it will be interesting to hear what you think when you get to season two as well because it's there's a bit of a pivot there in um when we started we started chasing down more marginalized voices specifically just feeling like they were lacking at the table um so so that's that's been interesting as well and season two has been even more about 
kind of a, a fuller image of humanity to me anyway and and really about embodiment but all of that's kind of opening scroll i guess um if you'd <laughs> like i would love to hear some of your story and and um uh, and yeah what your experience has been okay. so i've been like struggling with like what to focus on but i'm gonna try my best because i know our time is limited but i have some notes so i'll hopefully find some <laughs> notes from that yeah um, but yeah, I mean, my story is similar to a lot of people in that I was essentially born into my faith. Like my parents had decided, like they, my mom grew up Catholic. My dad was always in the, the Christian church in some like Protestant denomination his whole life. And, uh, they met in youth group and that was just really a big part of their story. So when they had kids, they at church every Sunday from like, you know, day one. So we, I grew up going to a Baptist church that was, like pretty conservative, but not like crazy conservative. It, it really, like I had no issues with it growing up. Like I thought it was, it was just part of life. It's what you did. And, uh, to me, I was like earning my way into heaven by being a good Christian and going to Sunday school. And like, I never really put up a fight about participating in this. And, um, something that, as you know, I've grown older and obviously I'm struggling with some of this now, something that, kind of bothered me as I got older is that I felt like my father especially was trying to instill in me this like we're Christians so we're superior like we have this figured out um, we like we're better than everyone else and he never said that but it was just this common theme like for instance if we were at a funeral for a family member who wasn't really in the church and wasn't religious like he would always make comments like like after the fact, he'd be like, you know, this is why it's so great that we have a church community and our pastor knows us. Like, so one day when we, like, it's our funeral, like, it'll be so much more personal. And it was just these, like, feelings of, like, yeah, like, we're just this, like, superiority. Yeah. And um, so that, I, like, I latched onto that. I, like, I was that person who was, like, I remember one Christmas Eve being very just like bitter that it was so crowded when like I was here every Sunday of the whole year and these people think they can just come in and like, you know, <laughs> put in their like one of two Sunday or church visits a year. And I was just like seething like on the inside. I was like, this isn't fair. Like I, it just really bothered me. I feel like there's a, there's maybe a parable about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yes. So I am totally the other son in the story of the prodigal son. So it's like, I'm doing this right. And they don't deserve, you know, what they think they're getting from this. And just like, it was just not, that's something that I, I feel like, so I saw in it, I saw it in myself and I also see it like, so I feel like if I were to have a conversation with someone who is still in that place, mm -hmm. um, about where I am with my faith now, which is kind of like just constantly trying to figure it out and not really sure. Um, they'd just be like, well, you're not trying hard enough and, uh, you just need to put your head down and just like latch onto it and just pray more and read your Bible more. And just, it just felt like, I don't know. I felt as I got older and I left my bubble that it was just very, it didn't feel natural. And I realized it never really did feel natural for me. Like I, I would go through the motions and mm. but even like as a teenager in youth group, I was just like, I'm not really feeling this like in my heart. Like, I just don't know why it's not there when it seems to be there for all these other people. And of course you don't admit that. So maybe my friends were feeling that way too, but we just 
didn't talk about that. So where I'm at now, um, I went to a Christian college. I like managed to stay in the bubble and it was very comfortable for me because I'm a pleaser and I don't like to get in trouble. Like I wanted to make my parents happy and I still want to make my parents happy. That's why we don't have conversations like this. Um, I kind of pretend that like, I really feel like they know I don't go to church, but we don't talk about it. Hmm. And I could bring it up, but I'm still afraid to have those, those conversations. But anyway, I found a lot of ways to blame myself for losing what losing some of my faith and like growing disconnected from it. Like the I'm married and my husband didn't grow up in the church. So I feel like he's not there mm. for lack of a better word, pressuring me. Like we got to go to church. We got to go to church. And I'm just right. like, well, it's, I didn't marry a super Christian. And it's because I hang out with people that aren't Christian. And I did find my own church when I left home, when I left the bubble and it was much more progressive. And I feel like that was just a stepping stone to where I am now, which is not going at all. And I'm just like, well, like they're very accepting and like broadening my mind. But then I just felt like I really have to figure out if I'm going to church because I want to go to church or because I'm of guilt, because most of my faith journey has been do the right thing or you're going to be punished if you don't. And so yeah, I, I've just felt like I don't feel like. I'm being punished for not going to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my life is essentially very much the same. I feel like I'm more connected now to where I am in my faith journey than I ever was when I was just blindly going to church, going to church, going to church. Like I'm just constantly like I'm reading books by like Rob Bell and Kent Dobson and like listening to these podcasts and just trying to like, I think I spend more time thinking about religion and where I'm at than a lot of people, like my own family members included, who just go to church, go to church, go to church. Like I'm just constantly mm-hmm. in this analytical inner dialogue. So, mm. um, and like Derek yeah. would always say, that's not anything. That's not a process you want to rush because it's important. Yeah, and I really like. I love. I think what I love most about this podcast is just everyone says they feel alone and like they don't know who to talk to and. Like, I kind of, I definitely feel that way because I, I just don't talk about it. Like, my non-Christian friends, I just act like normal. My Christian friends, I just kind of like avoid topics that are difficult. But I think what hurts me most, and I wrote this in when I submitted to the website, is that I think my parents and family do realize where I'm at, but no one wants to talk about it. Like, no one... Like the, they spend all this time when we're growing up, like you got to witness, you got to save people, you got to save people, like all this pressure, make sure your friends don't go to hell. And yet, like here I am, like obviously not really being devout and they just don't confront me about it. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they just want to pretend like everything's fine. And you know, she was saved and she got baptized. So she's good. Like as long as she doesn't go off the deep end, like we'll just not talk about it. Right. Yeah. So, very isolating so that's that's probably why i'm just like binging (laughs) well there's yeah there's no there's no script for when it doesn't work for someone yeah you know there's no there's no way to engage people who are trying really hard to process and to believe and it's not working for them and they still have questions and doubts there's no way there's no script that we're handed when we're christians that says this is how you you know you deal with those people and that's why it gets i think awkward 
because we're handed this narrative that this thing changes your life and you're never the same. But I think it's interesting that that no one seems to notice the world around them, that even with people they don't know, like forget your own family, but like even with people you would just run into at church, that's that's not the case. In, like in my experience, the church as an institution is, is very much a vampire. It, it kind of preys on the lifeblood of young people and, and, and trains them up a certain way and then puts them in support roles while the few people in charge are pulling the strings and... And, and says, see, look at all this youthful energy. But most of those people burn out and are disillusioned and don't spend their entire lives doing what is happening. A few filter into a bigger leadership role and keep perpetuating the cycle. But most people attending, you know, they try different churches out or uh, they move for this or that reason. It's like we barely see each other's lives. And if we really did at, at a real macro scale, my hunch has been for a long time now that we would recognize that this whole this whole idea that there's so much life change in it is not true for most people. Yeah. And most people end up far less to use the phrase they use in church a lot like on fire or all in than than they began. People tend to peak sometime before the real the real stuff of life sets in and and for others that are there, that are around, even a lot of the people that are there their whole lives. I notice with a lot of the old people, they're like the gentlest and most kind of relaxed. And, and they've embraced that this is just their religious country club and they have less invested. You know, they're not looking for it to define their life and everyone else's so much. They're just happily there and at peace with it. But they're not, they're not doing what the kids are being told to do. And no. in, all, in all of that, it's just like we're not... We're not trained or told that we can honestly evaluate whether this thing is even working. And, and you know, you have a group of people that preach things like grace and mercy so much and yet raise kids like you who are very focused on earning things and performance. And, and, and I come from a fairly conservative Christian background as well. And I always thought it was funny that at the end of the day, what we were afraid of is the idea that God was better than we thought. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the fear of someone like Rob Bell or, or any of, of, of you know, thinkers of that, that variety, that it's like yeah. evangelicals are really afraid of the idea that God might actually be better than they think. Like, they're counting on God being worse. And I think that it's a tactic that even if, you know, older people like parents, if they're not, even if they're not aware of it, I think it's, it's a device used to control young people to not make mistakes and like, just to like shame them, which is something I struggled with a lot, like shame them into not doing things like have sex or drink or do drugs, like to attach this shame to those activities that, you know, aren't all can can be very destructive but aren't always very destructive mm -hmm. and we just want to like control the young people like don't do anything bad because we know because they know how they've screwed up and you just want to create this perfect storyline for your child which is just so unrealistic and mm -hmm. it's unattainable and um and just to go back to what you were saying about being on fire um i used to always think that it was 
I didn't feel on fire because my story was kind of, my testimony was so boring. Like I didn't have some like major life changing event. I didn't have this terrible past that I overcame. And like, I was envious of those people. And I'm not the only one who I've heard say this, like you're envious of these people with these great stories. But me, it's just like, well, I don't know when I got saved. Cause like I just said the prayer, I think I was 10. I don't know. It was just what I did. Yeah. And like, yeah. I felt like I didn't have these life experiences that like lit a fire. Right. I had the same but, exact story. I, I mean, I grew up praying the prayer every week just to be sure. And, things, right? and, I, and I always said the same thing. Like, I don't really have a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was I, was I was legit afraid of going to hell. And I even I had to give my testimony when I got baptized. And uh, I had a man come up to me afterward and he was just like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that being your reason for getting saved. You know, that's a perfectly good reason. And I was just like, I look back and I'm like, really? Did he say that to me? Like. That's as long as you said it, you're good. Like no one cares where you go from here. Mm -hmm. You said the prayer, check the box, you're good to go. Like it's just so crazy to me. And that's exactly I, where the disconnect is too, because because I mean you just said it. It's it's an idea that salvation has been defined by escaping this world and going to heaven when you die. And then we're left wondering why the world doesn't change and why the church has this sort of cycle of, of new blood that it takes from, from the youth that are indoctrinated to think and act a certain way, but no one stays, no one really stays acting the way they're supposed to through their whole lives. They mostly just settle down and be people and families like, you know, normal or whatever. And it's, and it's that, it's that salvation has been totally detached from the here and now, which is, yeah. you're you know, living for your afterlife and not for your life. Like, and so all there is to do really is wait. Well, and like, I don't know, the, the thing that really did it for me, like where I just was like over Christianity was like when I would see how people participate in debates online and these like forums, I'd go to these like Christian news websites and people are just like the hate that was all like just throwing Bible verses around to like condemn gay people and like anyone that's different, anyone mm -hmm. who's the other transgender issues, just like, like they plug their ears and they throw their Bible verses out and like. They they can't just be happy with like living their own life well. They have to control other people mm -hmm. to also live a certain way. And I'm like, that's also kind of shitty. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's I can't reconcile all of that together. Like, well, and and you have to do something with your passions. You you get to wondering, like you said, living their own life well. Well, how can they if everything that any child would look at the world around them and say, this would be living life well, these are the things we need to do, are the very things Christians oppose. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if we were just responding to our our built-in sense of, of right and wrong or conscience or what we would, would look at the world and, and say needs to be done to heal this or that, we would be concerned with environmentalism. We would be concerned with human rights. We would be concerned with... Uh, you know, things like medicine being available easily to all people. And those are all things that, that most Christians that I've known have opposed. So that passion has to go somewhere. And yeah. I think when you're, when you're sort of stepping on the neck of justice, uh, you know, under the guise of righteousness, even though they're, they're actually supposed to be the same thing, uh, you have to go, you have to become a forum person that throws verses at gay people. Yeah, yeah, like... If you're like, going to be passionate, it has to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just such a terrible outlet for it. Like, these people that I know just sit in, like, chat rooms and forums just, like, 
shitting all over people instead of showing them any sort of love. Like I've been attacked and like, I'm, I don't know, I'm like a decent person. It just irritates me so much. And I, I don't know if there, and I know there are people like that, especially with this whole like political situation we're in, like, it's hard for me to reconcile that like my dad probably voted for Donald Trump. Again, we don't talk about those sorts of things, but like, just like, and I've said to him, like even well before the election took place, I was like, he's a terrible human. Like. How, how can you stand for someone like that is just the opposite of all the morals you've tried to instill in mm-hmm. your chain? Like, and it's just, there's so many things and that's why my list of notes is so long. It's just, my brain is just swirling like, <laughs> with all these things, but and I'm just like trying to figure it out. But then part of me is just like, I feel I've noticed another theme throughout the podcast at least in season one is like this feeling of freedom when you don't have to follow the rules anymore when you can just not worry about everything and Mm -hmm. just be you and that's I'm almost I would I'm a little bit afraid that like I would be convinced that all of this is legit and then I'd have to go back to being like feeling bad about myself all the time like it's just a vicious cycle but yeah, there, a lot of it is wrapped up in how we're told that our ethics and morality are such absolute things, and they're coming from this set of rules and laws that we need to follow that are in this book. And I haven't found that to be true for most people I know who've dismantled their faith or or moved on from it entirely. Like, yeah. like I actually read because because I read you know some of the letters that come in that end up on on the podcast. I I read a letter just this past week for episode seven of season two. Um, mm-hmm. I read a letter from a guy who's saying, you know, my morality and my ethics have not changed since I left church. And I'd actually be more suspect of, of my deconstruction if they had, because if I, if I suddenly gained all these fun new activities because I, <laughs> because I ditched quote unquote Jesus. And I thought that was, that's a super true, true way to say that. Um, what's creepier to me, because, because church raised me to think that people who left the faith would get, would get weird in their, in their behavior and their morality. But yeah. what is actually creepy to me are the people who are still in church claiming that they need written down laws to know that they shouldn't rape people or that they yeah. need they need a, a written down standard to know that they shouldn't strangle people. Like you are actually the one that is scary right now. And you need to you need to get examined for sociopathic behavior because if you actually need this to be written down in a book, then you clearly have no connection to your own you know, to your own mind in the sense of empathy. And that is something that's actually dangerous. And and I don't actually think that's true of most people making that claim. I think they're just so used to regurgitating that claim that they haven't actually thought of how stupid it is. But, you yeah. know, it is stupid. Um, yeah. we, we behave, we behave, most of us, regardless of how uh, we're told we need to buy any book, buy by what's going on, like what sort of uh, light is within us and, and what that illuminates and what that leads us to. And, yeah. and we're accountable to it with or without religion. You know, there's no formula. And that's the scarier thing I think people don't want to confront is that you actually can't control people that easily. Um, no. They have to do battle with their own ego and with their own, uh, their own everything. Yes. And I think for me, the biggest like number one issue for me is that I was the person that judged people who are exactly like I am right now. And Mm. so it's just like, I was judgy. I was on my high horse. I thought I had it all figured out and I felt like it wouldn't be fair for someone like me now 
to still like get into heaven because they're not depriving themselves like you know the true Christians and they're not you know following all the rules to a T and so that's where I struggle it's just like this all makes sense to me but I still remember that that other person I was who got in fights with my friends about you know issues like gay marriage and like lost friends over it at one point and it's like mm -hmm. I, I, I respect my journey as taking place at the time in which it did but I don't know I'm still struggling with like just being the person that I now I once was the person that I now just like can't handle <laughs> so. yeah and the further you move away from that person the more you lose touch with that person like I I think because I was that person and I'm 36 now I I walked away from being that person. It's it's been a long process, obviously, but but I I primarily started walking away from that person about ten years ago, eleven years ago, and and it was so easy to sort of straddle the line for the first couple of years and and maintain complete grace and patience and mercy for people who were like I had been, and I found one of the harder things, the older I get, is staying in touch with that like staying in touch with some sense of myself that is still that is still kind and and patient with people who are like I used to be yeah um, and that's that's really tough and and every day I'm asking myself questions of where which mountains are worth dying on and which which lines are worth drawing in the sand because there are some you know like um Nazis marching in the street and saying Jews will not define us or replace us like that is that's a line I'm willing to draw any day of the week and just say yeah you know if you're saying these are very fine people as an evangelical um you know I'm not I'm not ever going no like just no not in a million years no but at the same time I think a lot of people as as things are getting more and more polarized a lot of people are missing out on decent discussion and dialogue because because there is a there is a danger of becoming a fundamentalist in the other direction. Yeah, I don't. And 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 yeah, and that's that's really really tough. Um, yeah, because you you go from a place of where you're certain of everything and you look down on people to a place of where you realize you know nothing, and yeah. you kind of find that Socratic wisdom, which is the only true wisdom of knowing you don't know anything, and oh. then. And then as you begin to reconstruct and put pieces together, you realize there are things you know again. And 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 part of that, <laughs> of course, entails that maybe you'll come to a place where you don't know anything again, maybe. But on yeah. the, but it's more likely that you've actually found something that is deliberate and that will stick with you to some degree or another that you've put together deliberately that you weren't just, like you said, born into. And I think that's when the real test of of character comes in. At least I know that's something that I'm I'm working through every day and feeling like I really I really could have been better at. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it's like I said, it's complex because there are definitely things that people need to speak up and be defiant and say absolutely not to. So yeah. it's tough. But you can't something that Rob Bell also says a lot is like you can't force people to be where you're at. Like you can't like pressure your family members to see the the world the way you're now seeing it like you just have to let them it's just got to be yours and you can't force it on anyone else just like you know mm -hmm. we shouldn't it, it that's something i've been trying to remember like what as soon as i get judgy about my own family 
about like just how they conduct their lives and you know stay in their bubble like I just have to stop it's just like their journey our journeys are very different like mine I came about this because my life is just different and theirs isn't and I'm happy for them that they have this faith in this church community um I think that it's been harmful to them in some ways like not to go down this road. I know we've been talking for a while, but like I get, sometimes I wonder if my parents would still even be together if not for this like pressure to not get divorced and like just to remain this like happy family on the outside. And so in some ways I'm just like, again, I'm very analytical and I like to think a lot. I'm just like, I wonder what their lives would be like if they didn't have, you know, the pressures of morality and Mm. the Bible on them like would their lives be happier i don't know (laughs) that's an impossible road to go down but no but i mean those are good questions yeah hypotheticals i'm not a huge fan of hypotheticals in general but (laughs) um anyway yeah it's there's a lot that i think about and the podcast has definitely been helpful to like make my own voice in my head be quiet for a little bit and listen to other people (laughs) right well, and, and yeah, and we're not looking for any sort of simplistic conformity. Like we don't have a, um, a creedal statement for the airing of grief, like even amongst us as, as producers, like everyone who's been, who's involved with making and shaping the podcast. Like, I don't think we all land in the exact same spot on anything, no. but the ethic is that it's okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've been realizing a lot lately that my compulsion, because, because the Christian world is all I know and all I was trained to do and all I've been. So that's really hard. There's a grieving process, uh, not even just like in belief, but like in that it was my profession for a long time and all that stuff. Like there's a, there's a huge grieving process in that loss when you didn't prepare for any other sort of adulthood. Yeah. And, and I've realized that while I've had, confusion or doubts or or a lot of wondering about my own set of beliefs and where they land now i i have realized since i started working on this podcast that beyond all that being okay something that i have learned personally that i think is really important for me is that at the end of the day no matter what i believe if i was to land exactly back where i started or to be done with things entirely or to be kind of someone who's reimagined everything to the point where Christians don't like me anymore anyway and you know like which is kind of where I've spent most of the past 10 years um, you know in, in in the level of being a quote-unquote progressive that that seemed wise to me um, but despite all that regardless of where I land in any of those three things I think the world deserves better Christians and I think that's something I want to be invested in regardless of what I do or don't believe and um, I think there are a lot of people who feel that way as well, who've been, who's had, who have had their lives shaped by this, this culture and this set of beliefs. And, and even, even if they do walk away with, from it, would like to see the thing still do better, still be healthier, still make better people and a better world. And, yeah. and so that's why I, that's why I still fight to stay present with people who are like I used to be or, or seem kind of like on the cusp of discovering something brand new. Um, I want to be there for that moment because I know there were people who were there for that moment for me who really helped pull me out of a ditch and um, and really set me set me into healthier thinking. And you know, I, I think a lot of Christians are there that that you know the the reason you see a lot of people leaving 
these very hardline churches is they're just tired of a God who is so, so much worse than they are and, and calling it holy because it's God. And, and, you know, I've heard it said, I think this is powerful, but I've heard it said that there have been millions and millions and millions of Christians throughout history, uh, billions of Christians throughout history who believed Jesus was like God. There have been relatively few who have actually believed God was like Jesus. And the thing about that is, while it seems like a subtle distinction, the second thing is what the New Testament is actually claiming. And I am all on board for seeing a Christianity that has a more Christ-like God. But, you know, at this point, it's like, I'm, I'm regardless of my own beliefs, it's like, I'm always rocking that message to people of like, well, why do, why do we need Jesus if, you know, why don't we just worship Zeus? Like, if this is just, or, or whatever else, if this is going to be Judaism 2.0, if we're, if we're excusing genocide and uh, manifest destiny and nationalism and all these other things, if we're excusing empire, the very thing the biblical narrative contradicts and confronts and revolutionizes, then why did we need Jesus at all? Let's just, let's just go back to being like second temple Jews and, and say, well, this whole experiment failed and we actually really like violence and we love God's violence. And, you know, I, I feel like that's a discussion worth having, and that's that's a mountain that I will die on. You know, even even if I don't believe anything, that's one thing that I will always sell out to that discussion because I want I want to see better Christians in this world because I think the world deserves better Christians. Like that's something I do love about the church that you know I would still go back to, but the one that I found when I you know, left my parents' house and moved to the city. Um, like, they're really great people, and they're very affirming, and I think that they could do a lot of good. And I, like, everything they support. Like, I, I had no issues with them. Like, I'm very happy that that church exists, you know? And I'm sure there are plenty of other churches like it. It's just, you know, you get those few that get under your skin and, like, just turn you off to it, and it's it's hard to reconcile the two. Well, was there anything else you had in your notes you'd really like to? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, um, I guess I already sort of touched on it, but there's something that, like, I, I feel like it's really hard to be the perfect Christian, and but I feel like we're expected to try to be, and that just sort of instilled this feeling of, like, just never being good enough. And that's something I'm really trying to overcome is it's like, you don't have to feel like bad about, I like, I'm just such a perfectionist. I'm the oldest child in my family. It's just like always feeling this pressure to be better. And that's something that I feel like I've gotten freedom from just like not like disconnecting myself from the rigidity of all those rules. So I don't know. That's my favorite part is that like, I can finally feel like maybe I'm all right. <laughs> and, like It's it's all going to be okay in the end. And I don't know. We'll see where I end up. Maybe I'll end up at church again, but I don't know. I just hate feeling fake, you know, like in singing worship songs when you're not really sure where you're at is really difficult. <laughs> right. Or so. like some people have said being in a room where you're singing something like you're a good, good father and feeling like you're the only one in the room that actually believes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, it's like the, a lot of people have that language, but the the good good father they believe in is still sending the majority of the billions of people who ever existed to be tortured for eternity. 
Yeah, that's not doesn't sound very good. And you're like, you know, you I've I've got universalist kind of friends who've reconstructed an entirely progressive and universalist faith who've said that to me. Like, I felt like I feel like when I sing worship, because the thing about music a lot of times is, at least in more modern circles, um, we only we don't the worst ideas that we have we don't tend to sing. We just preach them because you wouldn't sing the stupidest stuff you believe because it's stupid and somewhere in your heart you know that. So songwriters don't write songs about God creating some vessels for wrath. Um, no. <laughs> not in most circles anyway. Um, and so with that said, then like finding that that the the musical experience is is alienating in an entirely different way, and that they're like, wow, that's a really cool, that's a really cool lyric. Um, I wonder if anyone in here that's singing it really loudly with their hands in the air actually believes it at all. Well, I appreciate you taking time to, um, to share some of your story and your perspective. It's, it's really nice to talk to you. No, it's really nice to have someone to talk to that, like, is, that gets it, you know? Like, I can talk to people, but not, not many people have super similar experiences so it was great yeah well like Derek says the whole aim of this is ultimately recongregating and bringing us together virtually and ultimately you know we want to do some live events and do some touring so um yeah and bring people together in a, in a safe uh and sacred environment that isn't about dogma um so we'll see what happens there that's still being formulated but um well thanks again and um I, I, again, I really appreciate your time and, and for, um, and for, yeah, the courage and, um, I know it's not, it's not easy to just do this with people you don't know. It's, it's yes, not. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to chat. Yeah. It's good yeah. to chat with you too. And yeah, drop us a line sometime. Let us know what you're, what you're thinking later on too. Okay. I will, right. I'll do that. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. So I was reminded in listening back over this conversation of something really important. Your voice, your perspective, your experience, it's valid. And it's worth the space held for it, and it's worth being heard. No matter which side of faith you find yourself on, like the caller and I both expressed on the call, a lot of us felt like we didn't have a testimony being raised in the faith. So maybe now a lot of us finally feel like we have one. Or maybe a lot of us still feel like there isn't much to share, but regardless, it's all valid. There's no test it needs to pass when it's the truth of your process and experience. Your story is worth being heard by people. It's worth sharing and it's worth knowing. So thanks to all who do engage us. Thanks to all who call, who write, who post, and who tweet and everything else. We hope that you continue to find resonant space here, and we hope that you continue to share the airing of grief with those who would benefit from knowing it exists. 18 episodes in, season two is winding down. We have a few more episodes planned in the coming weeks, and after that, we'll be taking a short break to regroup and recalibrate for season three. We'll be seeking out a lot of new content again and putting out some new ideas and requests. And during that break, we'll also continue to release calls to our patrons, so Check out our Patreon if you want access to more of these conversations, even during the break. We'll let that be it for now, and look forward to seeing you again next week, after church, for the airing of grief. Grief.